Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank my listeners, as I always do, uh, because without you, there wouldn't be Inside Personal Growth. And because of you, uh, you make this all worthwhile. Your comments, your thoughts, your feedback uh, for myself and my authors is just wonderful. And today, joining me from Monterey, California, is Patrice Vecchioni. Hopefully I said that right and didn't mess it up, Patrice. Uh, The book is called Step Into Nature, Nurturing Imagination and Spirit in Everyday Life. Good day to you, Patrice. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Greg. Oh, it's awesome to have you on. I'm doing great. We were just talking about the weather between both locations. And for some of our listeners located throughout the world, Obviously, weather is something we'll be getting in touch with here with relation to our emotions. Um, And I do have a couple of questions around that. But I first want to let our listeners know a tad bit about you. Patrice is the author of another book called Writing and the Spiritual Life, about about which the Writer Magazine said, Trust the Voice of Patrice. She is the author of two books of poetry, and the editor of the highly acclaimed anthologies. Um, She offers creative writing and college workshops inside and out at universities, libraries, parks, community centers, and spiritual centers, including Estelon. She lives in Monterey uh, with her best beloves, her husband, two cats, and a garden often in bloom. And you can visit her website at Patrice. And I'm going to spell her last name, V-E-C-C-H-I-O-N-E dot com. And with that, let's just dive right into this, Patrice. You know, you mentioned that we all come from Earth and that nature has an appeal that makes us come alive. And I couldn't agree with you more. And as I was going through reviewing the book, I was thinking, you know, it's a shame that I don't spend more time in nature. But yeah. how, do you, how do you recommend that people reconnect with nature on a regular basis? Because that is the biggest, I think, challenge that people have today. They're so connected and wired and geared up and, you know, all those kind of things. So tell us how we do that. It doesn't take much. You don't have to go far, and there's really no money involved. That's the first thing. Um, Even if you can't get to a large swath of unfettered nature, the park in your city or down, you know, at the end of your block, there's nature. Nature is, even if you stick your head out the window and look up, the air, the sky, the clouds, the sun, the moon, that's nature. So I think what's most important is to realize that Nature is what everything else is on. (laughs) Underneath all that concrete, that's nature. The molten lava under way down, down, that's nature. And if we can keep it simple, then we're more likely to do it. So some days I just go outside and walk around my block if I don't have time to go for a long hike or an hour's hike. Or I go out into my backyard, take my shoes off, and put my feet in the dirt so I can really feel the Mother Earth. Um, You don't need, you know, new hiking boots. You don't have to get on an airplane and go for a 100-mile hike. It's it's, Earth is where everything else is sitting on. Well, with that... You know, I agree with you. We all part of na- we are all part of nature, 
And with this fast-paced world, the best place to obviously de-stress is nature. What other benefits have you found in connecting with nature that bring us huge benefits, both emotionally, physically, spiritually? Because the reality is, is that, you know, I think most of us, Patrice, know that it's out there. We know that it has these benefits, but the reality is, is that we we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to enjoy it as much. It passes by so fast. Exactly, exactly. So one way to, to make it easier is to remember that it's not far. Even to go to the park is sufficient, the neighborhood park. That, so that's my first major point. And then the things it does, they're, they're infinite. For me, I began walking in the woods about seven years ago because I'd been a distance bicyclist. I hurt my neck. I couldn't ride the bike anymore, and I didn't want to exercise indoors. So I went to the woods for a very mundane purpose, a valid one, to get exercise, and I found myself changing day by day, walk by walk. Here are some things that shifted. My imagination seemed to get bigger. Now, it's the same imagination I've always had, but it, it's bigger. It's more responsive. It has an ability to ask more questions. And I'm more accepting of what comes to me from the imagination rather than doubting it. I'm more willing to say, oh, yeah, isn't that interesting? My spirit has just been rejuvenated. Um, when I am out in the woods, I notice details, nuances, a leaf falling, a couple of birds having conversation in the brush. Uh, and then that ability to observe nuance and detail has carried out into the rest of my life. And I notice a, a lot more about the world I live in than I ever noticed before. Mm -hmm. It really creates greater amounts of awareness and presence. Exactly. And you know, I attend a meditation retreat on the Orcas Islands with my good friends, Dr. Joel and Michelle Levy, every year. And I've been doing this for years. And, and it comes to a point when a walking meditation that they recommend that we commune with a tree on the island. And I've always found that experience to be that the energy that the tree is releasing is so inviting when you allow yourself the opportunity. How do you tell somebody to prepare? Because most people would say you're crazy going over and talking to a tree. To actually prepare to commune to, with nature at that deep of a level, to actually try and feel the vibration of the trees, of the stream, of the rocks, of the air. You know, I, I can't say as I did prepare. It, I think if you're not cluttering your mind with what you have to do after you leave the woods and the tree, and you're not thinking about everything you did before you got there, and you're actually in the present tense, in that exact moment, then the tree's presence will communicate with you. You know, frankly, most of this book, I really should tell the trees, that they're, say, to, say to you that the trees are the ones who wrote it. Because the ideas came to me as I was walking in the woods, not looking for those ideas. And I, so I started by writing notes on my hand and my arm. And then I brought little pieces of paper because 
all these ideas were coming to me as if the trees were whispering to me in a language I'd never heard before but was able to understand. So I think the main way to do this is to not be distracted, to actually leave the cell phone in the car or, or turn it so, it so you don't hear the, the buzz, keep it in the pocket or the backpack, and look at what's there. You know, we have five senses at least. We, we actually have more. But if we look at the five primary senses, we can experience a tree through our sight, our scent, through hearing, through touching. And some trees, you know, if you take a eucalyptus pod and wiggle your tongue in there, you get the eucalyptus honey. <laughs> but you don't want to taste things you don't know if, if they're safe, of course. But using the senses. So if, if we find we're distracted and we're thinking about what comes next, just bring in those senses. What do I see? What do I smell? What do I hear? What can I touch? So physiologically, that was one of my questions, as, as a matter of fact, that nature and the influence that it has on our sight, sound, the wind, uh, rushing water, um, taste, obviously, was part of the question as well. Yeah, obviously, you mentioned, hey, you don't want to taste something that you don't know. But the reality is there's lots of things in nature that you that you can taste if you if you know. But in our bodies, physiologically and emotionally, we make a shift. What what are you finding that from your research happens when people take this time to go backpacking, to go out into nature, to go just spend the time in a park, to go do these things? What what are the benefits? Well, you know, they say, um, I think it was Richard Louvre who, who said this, that though it's not yet understood why, five minutes, well, even just five minutes will decrease the feeling of depression mm -hmm. if you're out in the woods for five minutes. So my spirit got lighter. I feel happier. I feel more, more joy in my life. And, of course, there is the very physical benefit of walking. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I discovered my mind thinks differently when my feet are in action. But also the, the endorphins that get released are also stress alleviators. So, and you don't have to be, you know, walking really fast, just moving and breathing, getting the heart rate a little bit, a little bit up. That will release endorphins and it will create a state of well-being. Well, it's interesting you say that you mentioned something about you being a cyclist. And I'm an avid cyclist because I have a son who contracted uh, chronic myelogenous leukemia and I started doing rides. And, and people would always ask me on these long hundred mile rides, what do you think about? And I mm. would say, I really don't think about anything. And they would yeah. say, well, how can you not think about anything? And I said, I don't. All I think about is the road and the safety and my ability to stay upright on the bike and finish the ride, right? The reality right. is, yes, I look at nature. And so with walking, as you were just talking about, I find even when I walk and I'm walking doing a hike through a national park or Torrey Pines down here or wherever, I said, what are you thinking about? I honestly could tell you, I'm only thinking about the trail and looking at the bushes and, you know, I guess just staying on the trail. What do you find happens to people? Do they just kind of lose in space 
because uh, that seems to be what I do. Well, there's so much in, in, the, in the present, in the environment, is stimulating that it's difficult to be somewhere else mentally. Mm-hmm. So, so we're, getting, we're getting all this input, again, through those five senses, um, all the time as we're walking. So we get a chance to have a little bit of freedom from ourselves. And I think that does a great thing for the human psyche just to to get away so that we don't remain so much at the center of our own world. Maybe it's the trail that becomes the center of the world, or the breath, just the simplicity of breath becomes the center. And that is enough. And that's, I think, part of what I discovered through walking is it's enough just to do those things, just to breathe and move through space and be cognizant of where I am. Well, one of the things you talk about in the book is the changing seasons and how our bodies long for seasons. You know, you and I both live in climates. I live in Southern California, so there's even less. But the reality is they don't see much change in seasons. Why is it that our bodies really look for that variety? And what does it really do for us? You know, a winter, a summer, a spring, a fall. I have to say that I grew up as a young man in that, but most of my life, uh, 52 years of it, has been in a place with with absolutely very little change in season. What is it that, that we need through those change in seasons? Well, um you know, I the more I walk, the more I, I mean, I'm, I'm in Central California, so there is more variation here than in Southern California. But the more I walk, the more I notice the changes. Today, I was walking on Chaparral land, and I saw at least seven, eight different flowers budding out. They don't do that in the winter. Um, so, you know, that's, they're tiny flowers. It's not some kind of tropical grandiosity. But, oh, look, at this is different. And I think what it is is that human beings like change, you know. We want to know that things are not in stasis, that, 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 that life is our lives are transitioning and transforming and metamorphosizing and they're in, they're in flux, they're in movement. So what the seasons do for us is give us a way to document, to frame our own seasons because just like nature has seasons, human beings have seasons. Um, I'm not the same person in the summer that I am in the winter, even even here in, in Central California. I find in the winter I'm more, I want to be more sequestered. I'm more emotionally internal. In the summer, I want, to, I want to sing. I want to dance. And I think that's just simply human nature. So you tell a great story in this book, and, and I'm going to... Uh, intercede with a little one of my own but I lost my mother in February she was 93 years old and one of the things that happened was you know I'd always been a fan of hummingbirds but the signs of these hummingbirds have have the the amount that I see the frequency that I see them where I see them has um, really become pretty prolific mm-hmm. tell us about the connection that nature makes with us and this seems to happen. I mean, it, I'm just saying, I just had this happen 
um, when we lose a loved one. You have a story in the book. Um, you've got a, several, but you've got one really good story in the book. Well, um, tell me, I, I'm thinking of the owl story, but that maybe is not the yes. one you're thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. the owl story. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. so um, one day I was walking in the woods, and it was early in the morning and quite foggy. It gets quite foggy here. And an owl flew right in front of me, maybe three feet in front of me, and kept flying along the trail. And I followed him until he flew out of sight. Now, in various cultures, the owl has various meanings, either a harbinger of doom or a sign of wisdom. And I felt the owl was there to warn me, to tell me to be careful and um, to pay attention. And so I was paying attention in my days as they went along. And about a week later, I was driving to take a hike. I was in the park, and I heard the sound of a tree about to fall. And anyone who's ever heard that sound, it's unmistakable. It's sort of like a groaning. To me, it sounds like regret. I couldn't tell how far away that tree was, but it wasn't clear to me. But I heard a voice in my head that said, drive faster. And so I put the gas pedal on, and the tree fell right behind my car, not more than a foot at the most behind my car. So if I hadn't put the gas on, the tree would have definitely wrecked my car. I don't know whether it would have killed me or not, but I'm glad I didn't have to find that out. And I, I, I'm certain it was a, that was what the owl was warning me about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Nate, birds um, in particular, before any sign of devastation, tsunamis and all the rest, most of the animals head for the hills, right? We all know that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, animals has this sense that we don't have about what nature's doing, about the oncoming uh, challenges. I mean, uh, the last uh, tsunami, they all went to the hills and, you know, the birds remained while a lot of people ended up losing their lives. And you you ask people to ask a question about their fear of being in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you recommend helping any of our listeners out there today that are um, in some way have some trepidation toward venturing into nature, even any part of nature? I mean, believe me, I've known plenty of city boys and girls, and you know, you ask them if they've ever been out into nature, and very seldom do they do it. Meaning out into doing some kind of wilderness hike. Right, right. Even even like the park I walk at is 900 acres. So when you're in the middle of, the, of a 900-acre wood, you're pretty far away, even though the park is within the city limits. You're pretty far away from the rest of, of, of most of, of the members of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what happened to me is I the first day I went to walk alone, I was greeted indirectly by my twin fears. My twin fears are crazy men and mountain lions. And as I was about to get out of my car to go for my first hike alone, a man who seemed crazy, he was jumping and gyrating, came up to my car, and he wanted to share with me. He said, you will never guess what happened. I just saw a mountain lion. And he was happy about this. He wasn't crazy. He was ecstatic. And I just said to him, well, where was the lion? And he pointed, and I went for a walk in the opposite direction. Um, For six months, I remained afraid 
of those two things, of crazy men and mountain lions. Now, one day I was walking and I noticed I wasn't afraid. I didn't ask the fear to go. It's just I think the fear got tired of me. I wasn't responding. I, was, I didn't, didn't react very much to it at all anymore. And it went away. Now, that's not to say if I don't hear a sound I can't identify. It's not to say that I don't feel afraid. Sure I do. But I also know the woods, so I know, oh, that could be, you know, that could be this or that could be, um, you know, a deer stomping through, through the brush. So I'm less likely to get afraid. I think what's important for people is to not pretend they're not afraid if they are, um, but to say, okay, I'm afraid, but I don't want to be run by my fear. I want to experience the natural world. So you go out there and you take your fear with you kind of like taking an uncle who you don't really enjoy spending time with, but he really wants to come. So you bring him along. And I dialogue with fear. I, I, I talk to it. I let it talk to me. I hold its hand. I carry it in my arms. Um, and in that way, that part of the self feels recognized and, and, and is allowed to transform because of that acknowledgement. Hmm. And it does, it does change. The worst thing that's happened to me in the woods is I've gotten a bad case of poison oak. That, you know, that's not too bad. No, no. And, you know, you're, you're basic allowing, you're, you're speaking with those fears as a way to diffuse them, you know. Exactly. And while you're out there in nature, you know, you hear sounds, you know, people have always, oh my gosh, you know, I hear the owls or I hear the this or I hear that and, and they can freak out. But as you know, you can diffuse that through what you just mentioned and you can diffuse it quite a bit. Now, one of the things you say in your chapters is that, and it's actually another author I think that you pulled this from, is that our bodies have forms that demonstrate how much we're part of nature. You know, like our earlobe, you were mentioning uh, the, the, the little right, lobe is like a shell. It yeah, like, like a shell. A shell, for yeah. example. Explain mm-hmm. to the listeners kind of these parts of the body and how it kind of relates to nature. I think there was a, another author in that chapter that you were actually quoting about that. I thought it was quite interesting because I never thought of it that way. I really actually never explored, you know, a part of my body being a part of nature. Well, if you look at the whirls on your fingertips, they're very similar to the whorls of our ears, which are similar to any number of shells. Um, there, there is, um, if you look at it, like, for example, a, a series of hills in the distance, you'll notice perhaps that they remind you of the shape of a woman lying down. You can see her shoulder and the dip of her waist and the rise of her hip. And there's, there's you know, we're... We're not so separate from, from nature. We tend to think of ourselves as so different, but we are a part of, of this natural world, and we can see ourselves reflected in the natural world and see the natural world reflected in us in, in, in any number of ways. The worlds of our, our fingers, our eyes, re- reminiscent of, of a star, that, that same shape of the shape of a sun from a, a tiny point in to that flare of rays extending outward. Yeah, it, it is interesting. When you, you put it in the book, it brought it to my attention, but... You know, the only time I you do see kind of silhouettes, silhouettes sometimes 
in the mountains and you go, oh, that looks like this or that looks like that. Let's talk just a second and kind of end our interview on this note. It's about a section you call art and silence and the solitude and stillness and silence um, to kind of hang out together. And you make reference to art in many different places throughout the book. Um, If we're communing with nature, um, what kind of art are you really speaking of other than you know, the forms and mediums of art that we could do? Or is it actually making our own art with nature? Well, I think it's whatever medium we're, we use, it's, it's all about making our own art. It's about you experience the natural world, and for me, it enlivens my imagination. And for many of my students, they say, oh, my imagination feels more fresh. It feels refreshed. It feels more enlivened. And when the imagination feels free, you'll find that you make connections between things that you wouldn't make otherwise because you're, you're unencumbered by doubt and fear. And when, we're, when we spend time in silence and solitude, and I think they're very important, and we, we don't get enough of either of them these days, um, but when we have time for silence and solitude, the imagination, it's like, it's like a thirsty person taking a long, long drink of water. And when it's sated, then it can respond through whatever medium. You know, in a way, I don't think it really matters the medium we choose. What matters is that we stop and listen and respond. It, yeah, it's so important to make that connection as you said, and, and coming back to presence and just the present moment to actually really, I don't know, ingrain it within our DNA. I think mm-hmm. so much of the time we're so lost in the doingness of life and what nature brings to us is an opportunity to explore our soul and our being. And that's what your book does. It's really more about how do I go out and do this, but asking questions, asking ways for our listeners to kind of explore it and encouraging them to take that step into nature to explore it. Um, And Patrice, I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth, spending some time with our listeners today. Um, We'll put links up to Patrice's website as well. We'll put link to Amazon where this book can obviously be purchased. Um, She obviously has a Twitter account. We'll have that up there for you as well. What what last thing would you like to leave for our listeners as we conclude this podcast? Is there anything in particular you'd like to encourage them with? I know you're a woman of poetry as well. Would there be some type of poem that might be a great way to conclude our time together today that would encourage people to take a step into nature? Well, what I'd really like to say is that nobody can tell the story that you'll tell or write the story that you'll write, or paint the painting, or sing the song. And if you don't write or paint what is in your heart, that that goes unsaid, because no one else can say what you will say. I think that's a pretty darn special thing. Enough reason to get out a pencil and a piece of paper. Definitely. Well, you definitely are the person to encourage people because you teach classes in writing and getting in touch with their own spiritual self and their soul. And it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. Again, for my uh, listeners, it's Step Into Nature, Nurturing Imagination and Spirit in Everyday Life. And Patrice, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth with us. 
Thank you.